This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in Asia Torah, the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Please feel free to uh, go online to YomTovMediaClub.com and uh, join the club. Uh, thank God it's actually working. We've had a lot of people join the club and... Uh, we're going to have more and more people join it. And please, God, with that club, we're going to hire people to help us with social media and publicity in general to get these classes out there in the world. Today's class title is Why Are Institutions uh, Necessarily Evil? And now, really, I don't mean evil, evil. That was just clickbait. I don't really mean evil because no one would create an institution out of evil unless, of course, it was some totalitarian government or something like that, which might... Uh, be an institution of evil. In general, people create institutions for what they feel is going to create some kind of betterment. So what did I mean by evil? What I meant by evil is really that all of us have to remove the thought that an institution or us being connected to an institution or being a member of an institution or being a due-paying member of any institution is going to... Is going to um, give us what's called spirituality, that that's going to be how you achieve spirituality, that that's going to give you spirituality. And what is spirituality, after all? So spirituality, in definition, means to be connected to God. A spiritual person would be connected to God. And there's obviously other definitions, because I know spiritual people who don't even believe in God, so, which is kind of strange, but, they, but there are spiritual people who, are not, who don't even believe in God. But in general, spirituality in the world means you're connected to something that is of spirit. That's the word spirit. The spirit means non-physical. Uh, can you slide a bit that way? You're good. Spirit means not physical. So spirituality means you're involved in the rituality of spirit. And so you're connected to the beyond the physical. Now... The reason why is very simple. It's very simple why institutions can't give you that, and that's because it's, talk, it's a discussion of intimacy. Whenever you're talking about connectivity, like real connection, the, so there's external connection, like acquaintances or strangers, but we're still connected. You know, we all know we're connected. I mean, <laughs> if you're on a train and someone smells bad or passes wind, I mean, you realize we're connected, you know? I know some people really should be showering more often and using deodorant. I think they don't realize how connected they are to strangers. But we are connected. And, but as you get to the levels of connection that we actually care about, like, for example, marriage or, or uh, a family, especially immediate family, or people who are closest to you or God, it's so, it's so personal. It's so personal, and that's why... I mean, really, only one person should have ever written a book on relationships because that would have been the book and then we'd all know how to do them. But we can't, no book in the world will help, you know, they'll all help, but no book will handle a relationship. Why? Because it's so personal. And spirituality is the relationship with the transcendent. And that is so personal. And it remains personal. And it must be personal. Now, God has a special trick up his sleeve, and that's that he would never let his relationship to individuals get hurt by an institution. Yo. He would never let his relationship to individuals get messed up by an institution. 
And that, and so how does God do that? What he does is once in a blue moon, someone actually tries to create a spiritual institution. And, but it always fails. It always fails. I've been in Jerusalem now and uh, hanging around the Jerusalem and spot scene uh, for 20, I don't even know how many years now. This June will be 28 years. And uh, I've seen a few people try and actually succeed at creating spiritual institutions. And, but every one of them failed. They failed in different ways. I mean, they, I can't tell any great crash and burn stories, uh, but like one just failed because everyone got married. And so it went from like, uh, I don't know if you know about this, but single people get, single people pay dues and married people get paid to learn Torah. Single people in yeshivas pay tuition, but once someone gets married, they're in what's called kolel and they actually get paid. So imagine being married to Israel and having Kona. Imagine being a Rosh Yeshiva getting tuition from thirty boys who are studying in your yeshiva, who are all committed to their spiritual paths, and then they all get married within a year. And now you have to pay thirty boys who are all young marrieds. So it is such a different financial structure that the so so that's just one example of a place that folded. You know, really quickly, right after the, it was such a successful endeavor that it failed when everyone had gotten married. Now, the anyway, so God's trick up his sleeve is if someone does create an institution of spirituality, it will fail. And the other is that all the institutions that are created around spirituality will always wind up, if they succeed, to be not spiritual in the end. They'll be not spiritual in the end. So, um, what's an example of that? Um, I think one funny example is, uh, this was my own naivety, but I was really excited when my oldest son, raised Hasidic, uh, went to his first yeshiva, which was, uh, you know, a Hasidic yeshiva katana, which is like junior high school in America. And he was on his way to the school. And I was very excited that I was sending him to a Hasidic yeshiva and, and not a Litvish yeshiva because I figured if he goes to a Hasidic yeshiva, there will be an emphasis on spirituality as opposed to a Litvish yeshiva, which will just have its focus on Torah study alone. Um, if I, I'll distinguish the difference between spirituality and Torah study in a moment. Anyway, so I was really excited about that. He came home from his first day. And I said, so tell me about your day. And he says, we studied. <laughs> you know? And I, I'm like, great. And what about Hasidus? What about Hasidus really is a secret code name for Kabbalah for the layman. Kabbalah for the layman. Because if you open up a Hasidic Sefer that's written in language that a layman could understand, you'll notice that it's really just Kabbalah. So I said, what about Hasidus? Did you study the spirituality? And he he said, no, that's not in our schedule. I said, well, what day is it? And he's like, it's not in any day. It's not part of it. And then I called the head of the yeshiva and I said, what kind of Hasidic yeshiva doesn't have the study of Hasidut? And he, he said that, like, you know, thank you for being the biggest Balchuba dork in the world. Not realizing that Hasidim don't, Hasidic yeshivas don't actually study Hasidut. And uh, anyway, that was my rude awakening. But the institution exists to this day. Here we are, like, many years later, and it was existing many years before. 
And the way you keep an, a Jewish institution going is you remove any spirituality from the institution. So the only time there might be something spiritual happening would be in the prayer. But tell me, how spiritual is it for you when you're forced to pray? That's like, you know, you imagine being forced to be married to somebody. You know, how, how great a relationship would that be? You know, so in spirituality, we're always in relationship and it can't be forced. So therefore, nothing spiritual takes place the entire day at this yeshiva, except for obviously people who have that gene. There are actual people with spiritual genes. Did you know that there can be people born spiritual? Like they're automatically spiritual? There are people with spiritual genes. I happen to be one. I'm one of them. What's it? Maybe with no children. <laughs> oh, no. I know them with children. And they, uh, so the children are either in deep neglect or they're married to someone who's very good with children. Now, the... Um, Anyway, but I, I would like to just distinguish real quickly why Torah study and spirituality are two separate things. The reason is, is because there's, um, when it comes to uh, Torah study, so that's called, uh, that's called limud, I guess I'm going to use English. Limud, is that English? That's Hebrew. I'm going to use English letters. Uh, I'm like... <laughs> That's not very good English. Limud. So regular Torah study is Limud Ratzon Hashem. Okay? Regular Torah study is called Limud Ratzon Hashem, which means the study of God's will. Okay? That's regular Torah study. So that's what yeshivas do. That's what my son, when he went to his Hasidic yeshiva, he learns the study of God's will. And then there's something called um, spirituality. Which means limud. If you're studying it, obviously. It's, this is if it's limud. Um, if you're practicing it, it wouldn't be called limud. But if you're studying studying spirituality, it'd be called limud Hashem. Okay, limud Hashem. Which means the study of God. That's also spiritual. Yeah, no, if you practice it, then you're practicing spirituality. Okay? So we've got... We've got... <laughs> I know, what was that? Was Rabbi, I don't want to say anything. Oh, that killed it's that two small. dead beetles. There's another beetle. Dead. <laughs> I, don't, I don't kill, I don't kill beetles. I heard that there's beetles everywhere. Yeah, there were. Yeah. I thought I didn't want to say nothing. I, I heard it was in the news. <laughs> it was in the news. Yeah, this doesn't happen every year at this time. This is the first time, but all kinds of first times are happening right now because we got more rain in 27 years, and so the, so the nature of the world is has gone on steroids. Like, have, has anyone been in the mountains and seen what's going on out there? I mean, it's just bizarre. And I need to buy like a gas-powered chainsaw to deal with some trail trimming because when we're mountain biking, we're like being attacked by vegetation. <laughs> and, uh, 
and, and some of it is quite pokey. You know, we're, we're getting like poked. I have like, I at least have uh, like uh, carbon fiber knuckles and stuff, which takes care of most pokes. But uh, it's been it's been a pokey experience. I think those two beetles were mating, actually. What is dead? What is not dead? What is not dead? I don't know. No, they're both dead. They're now disconnected. But, um, okay, so one is the study of God's will, and one is the study of God. Now, you need them both in life. You have to have them both. Uh, In any relationship, you have to have both both the study of one's will and the study. You know, good luck having a relationship where you don't, pay any attention to what they want. What does it mean, God's will? It means what God wants, as depicted by the 613 commandments. So, there's the study of God's will, that's regular Torah study that yeshivas do, and then there's the study of of God himself, which we'll talk about in a minute. But the, the study of will is super important. You know, in my marriage, there's a lot of do's and don'ts for my wife to know um, I have things that, you know, would just bother me. Like, for example, my, they all pertain to sports, by the way. But, uh, like, for example, my inside shell that I wear for my hips, tailbone and, and uh, thighs for pads when I'm mountain biking, it doesn't go in the dryer. It doesn't go in the dryer. And that's a major don't in our relationship. You know, <laughs> don't put that in the dryer. And, and also, my... You know, with a large family of laundry coming out in giant avalanches, you know, my mountain bike gear should get extricated and put where my gear goes. And that that's, shouldn't just be like, where are my, where is my jersey, my riding jersey? You know, it shouldn't be in a giant pile of stuff. Um, so <laughs> that's a do and a don't do. Um, my wife has plenty of do's and don'ts. Oh, another thing is, is... Don't put your feet on my pillow. <laughs> Faces and pillows don't go together. You know, she'd store a toothbrush in her shoe, you know. But to me, anything that is for the face is unique and remains in its own category of cleanliness. Okay? And I'm kidding about her storing toothbrushes in her shoe. She wouldn't do that. But I'm like OCD about those things. And... and my wife, don't leave the house unlocked all night. Just, just lock the door. You know, whereas for me, having an unlocked door, it like, it like shows you the safety of Jerusalem. You know, like, like look at that. You can have your house unlocked all year round. Totally, I never left mine. Yeah, you don't need to lock your door here. But no one ever knows. But except for money. In my wife's upbringing, that means, like, that's like a lack of protection. It's a lack of care. It's a lack of. You know, like, if you have something worth something, you know, protect it. You know, and they, and I'm in, more into, like, create invisible shields around the stuff that's, that's worthy and, and it will be protected. And it is. It really is. I've been in all kinds of crazy situations where, like, you know, like, everything got stolen from everybody except for me, you know. And, and so everyone's pants, you know, were gone and... Mine are still hanging exactly where I left them at the, you know, at the hot spring in the, in the mountains of Oregon. You know, like everyone's pants were shaken upside down except for mine. So, 
So the, you know, they, in our mikvah, it's a very interesting thing. I think Sephardic people are used to thieves. You know, I, I think it comes from 2,000 years living amongst uh, thieving uh, societies. Because cause you'll notice that in the mikvah, where we go to the mikvah, there's a changing room, and all the Ashkenazim hang their clothes and then go in, you know, in their birthday suits to the mikvah room. Whereas the Sephardic people, they also get, get into their birthday suit, but then they walk into the mikvah room with their pants. And where you hang your towels, there's also pants hanging of Sephardic Jews. Because okay? they're not leaving their, their wallets and phones and everything in the changing room. Like, that's not going to happen. But who's the most likely to get ripped off at the... Who's the most likely person to get ripped off? The person who's radiating, don't rip me off, or the person who ra- radiates safe? What's, it depends on the subject. Because the su- radiating always requires a positive subject. So don't rip me off radiates what? What's the subject? Right ripped off. Rip off. It basically radiates rip off. Whereas the person who radiates safe, what are they radiating? Safe. So a great way to take care of your stuff is to, is to not spend all your time trying to protect it. Now, here in the case of the house, this is my, the souls. These are my children. This is my wife. Like, lock the door. Anyway, these are just examples of do's and don'ts. And in those cases, they're do's and don'ts. Do lock the door and don't leave it open all night. Is Those are do's and don'ts put together. And with those, so it creates the possibility of great connection. But then there's the inner study. The inner study of the heart of, of two people. And that takes years. It takes years. And it takes tremendous trust. Anyone who gets married knows what I'm talking about. And anyone who's single knows what I'm talking about. That the amount of trust necessary in marriage is beyond anything ever in the whole world. It blows away every financial trust uh, relationship. It, it's just the trust is... And everything pivots on the trust. So, so it's like... And, and this is why people who've been hurt have the hardest time getting married. Because it's like, how do you expect me to trust after what, everything I've been through? Like, how can I possibly trust? And, and, but you can't be married without it. Because here you are, like, completely putting all of your eggs in this basket. All of your eggs are going into this one basket. And that's like, for someone who's been hurt, that's going way beyond... But that's why, um, that's why we have the words in Shema Yisrael, the words Me'odecha. You ever noticed in the first line of Shema, after obviously the first line, which is Shema, but the very second line is, you shall love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your Me'od, which makes no sense grammatically. What is Me'odecha? Me'od is only something that, modifies the following word, but there is no following word. It's like they've turned the word ma'od into a noun here. Like, love God with all your ma'od. You ever thought about that? You guys just probably have said this a million times and never thought about the fact that you had a, a uh, what would you call that kind of word in grammar? What would be that grammatical word? It's an adjective, not an adjective, an adverb. It's, it describes the next word. Very, it's the word Very. What's a what's the word vary in English? No one knows. A conjugating verb. Maybe a conjugating verb. I don't. I don't remember. But anyway, the words vary. How are you supposed to love God with all your vary? 
So the answer is that it's you have to love God with all the stuff that you very, 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 very much don't want to give up. All the stuff you very much don't want to give up. So if one person, you know, they may have, let's say, a lot of financial resources, but they don't mind giving it up. So that's not their mode. You understand? They're happy to give tzedakah and stuff like that. It's the, it's, you know what it is? It's, it's the Baal Teshuva whose parents own a shellfish restaurant. And, and, they're, and they're managing it. The, the child's already the manager of the shellfish restaurant. And they're, and they're, shellfish restaurant. And they're, and now they've like discovered Torah. And they, but not only that, they're like, they love lobster. And, and they eat lobster once a day. And they, and they use shrimp, shrimp sauce for toothpaste. And, and they just, they just feel like they can't let it go. So that's ma'od. That's their ma'od. So all of us have ma'ods. And it's, it's not easy to give up your mode for God. And please, God, you shouldn't have to. I mean, it's only when you really have to give up your mode. But for certain, for certain, when it comes to the fulfillment of the, all the mitzvahs that take place in marriage, which, interesting, women are not obligated to get married. They can stay single uh, and not break a commandment, whereas men have to get married. But, but they kind of need a woman to cooperate. <laughs> To fulfill the commandment of getting married, and the uh, anyway, but the but for all of us to get into that level of the mitzvahs, which is a whole world of mitzvahs, one, and creating a Jewish home, you know, with a partner and all that, that's that's called the ma'od, and the for someone who's who has had their trust breached over the years, is their ma'od is to get married anyway, and uh, and it's a, such a catch twenty two trust. Because if you don't trust so much, there's no way they're going to let them uh, their hearts open. You know what I mean? If you're married to someone and you're like, okay, let's see them open their heart first. Let's see them trust first. Are they going to open their heart? Are they going to open their trust? No, because they... Meaning it's weird. You both have to like count to three and say go. You know, like, you know, it's like ex- little kids exchanging the toy for the, you know, the five cents. You know, or the, they're like, one's holding the dollar, one holding the toy, and they're like... And they're going to each hold on and let go at the same. One, two, three, go. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's the same thing in marriage. You know, you can't be the one waiting for the other to, to start trusting you. You know, you got to say trust on three, you know. And be, this sounds like a good sermon for a chuppah, actually. You know, for like real train wreck couples. You know, and, you know, on three, we're going to trust each other forever and ever, like full transparency, like totally just put our hearts on the altar and let the other, you know, slaughter it. Just kidding. Let the other, um, you know, hold, you know, hold the heart on three. So. It's like a game of chicken. <laughs> yeah. Well, the most people are playing chicken with it. I don't know if you guys know what chicken is, but. That the uh, most people play chicken, and that's uh, but the but really we got to just both let go at once. Okay, so Torah study is the story of, is the study of God's will. It's not necessarily spiritual, whereas the study of Hashem, which is the Kabbalah, Gesundheit, and Kabbalah and Hasidut, is uh, which is just layman's Kabbalah, 
is the study of Hashem. And that's the inner intimacy of all in- interaction, of all relationship, is, is that. Um, and the best way to understand that, because I've been bringing up marriage, is imagine doing all the do's and avoiding all the don'ts in marriage, but never saying, I love you. What kind of relationship would that be? Or imagine saying, I love you, while totally ignoring the do's and don'ts of the other person. You see how you need them both. First one's a law, right? This is the law. This is the halacha. And the, you know, everything that's studied in yeshivas. Anyway, for this reason... It's my mother-in-law. I'm coming. I didn't make your daughter cry. So what happens in Torah institutions is they generally get relegated to here. What's interesting is Chabad actually beat the system somehow on this, and that Chabad has uh, two to three hours of Limudei Hashem in their, in their actual yeshiva schedule, which is amazing. They'll have it, uh, I say two to three because the, ad, the extra hours before prayer. Um, they'll have an hour of, of study of, of Limudei Hashem before the prayer, and then they pray which is really good for prayer. If you study Limudei Hashem before you pray, it's massive. It makes a big difference. And, uh, and then in the mornings, uh, morning Seder, morning hours, they have an hour of, of Hasidut. And then in the afternoon, they have another hour of it. And some even learn a little at night. So they have it built in, which is remarkable. Remarkable. But I imagine they have their own demons to face because God has, you know, God has removed spirituality from institutions he like makes sure it's not there so i don't know what could go wrong i've never been part of such a program that has it built in hours like that as chabad does in their yeshivas i don't know what other demons they have to deal with over there i don't know their inner world but but i imagine you know (laughs) i imagine that trying to institutionalize hasidic thought into the schedule is going to come with its own attack you know, but I don't know what that attack is. I don't know their world. Yeah. Rabbi, we fix it by having seven programs a week. <laughs> <laughs> seven. How did you learn it? What? How did you learn it? Oh, so when a Hashem is studied generally at night, and it's studied with masters of it, who are you know generally um, secretive people. They're not. They're not publicly. Oh, private classes. Private classes. Ah. And they're, they're generally hidden uh, masters. The real masters of this stuff are more hidden. And, um, and it's also, it's uh, focused on often on Thursday nights, late, 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 mm-hmm. like a all night type Thursday women thing. What? And women, women study these things as well. There's actually a woman in the old city who's like the biggest, uh, uh, what would you call it? No, the biggest, oh gosh, uh, re, uh, sender-outer, uh, educator. The biggest educator in the, in the Limudei Hashem stuff 
her name is Sarah Yehudi Schneider. And she, I don't know if I'm allowed to say her name. Because <laughs> I imagine once you're doing this stuff, you have to keep under wraps a bit. But, uh, oh, see, here comes my mother-in-law again. <laughs> Covering this part up. But uh, anyway, but she's... Uh, she, my wife has discovered her this year and is like completely connected to this lady now. And she's, she's in the old city. Actually. She, it's women's classes only with, with her. Yeah. I don't know how you reach her exactly, but I imagine she's a phone call away and you can get involved in her class. I think she has at least a once a week meditation, Kabbalistic meditation class, uh, once a week in the mornings here in the old city so I'd take advantage of that and you can speak to my wife how to get get connected to that and again I have no idea if this is like totally private um, I don't think it's private and the and then there's also um, my Rebbe's wife is this great teacher of Limude Hashem and she teaches I think two classes a week in Jerusalem one in the old city I think at Pamela and Abba's house and uh, and then another class in also in a house I think in Shari Chesed. I'm not sure, but she's also teaching this class. Oh, and then, of course, there's, uh, what's her name? Golshevsky. Yehudis Golshevsky. Yehudis Golshevsky. You guys heard of Yehudis Golshevsky? No. Yehudis Golshevsky is also a, a woman who knows everything of all, like, the deepest teachings of the Mude Hashem. And she's, uh, she also teaches classes. Throughout Jerusalem, Yehudis Golshevsky. <laughs> you know, now that I'm naming all these women, I, I feel like there's more women than men teaching. Kind of these expensive or What's that? Those kind of classes are extremely expensive because I think they're free. I think they're free? they're all free. I think so. Oh, yeah. Because as you told, they are kind of secret and hidden. Secret and hidden means doesn't mean anything about money. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes. Generally, things that cost money are marketed. <laughs> the secret hidden ones are the, the free ones. Yeah. Did you explain why why God um, is hiding like or removing spirituality from institutions? Why? Yeah. Oh, just to keep it um, to keep it personal, because if it were if it were that institutions could have um, could give actual spiritual connection, so after a while it would it would be theirs, not yours. You understand? It's something very private. Your relationship with God is extremely between you and God. And no one could ever, if you were, if let's say an institution got some kind of formula, you know, it'd have to be a formula to give it to everyone. Can you imagine a, a spiritual formula? So, but they got a, a, they created a formula that works for most people. So would that be your relationship with God or it'd be the relationship with God based on their formula? So it'd be a formulated, someone else's formulated relationship with God that you'd be having. You know, and this is something that a lot of people have problems with, with. A lot of people come up to me and say, I pray three times a day and I don't feel anything. Well, think about it. Is that institutionalized prayer? For sure. The men of the Great Assembly, 120 great wise men of the Jewish people, created three times a day our daily prayers. That's institutionalized prayer. That is, that is said prayer that has set words and it, it, there's nothing unique about you in there. In fact, the whole thing's plural. You know, it's, it's not Elokai, it's Elokeinu. The whole prayer is all the prayers there are set in the plural for the most part with the very tiny uh, exceptions. And, and so it's institutionalized, it's plural. 
it's for Klal Yisrael. I've told this joke a million times, and I'll tell it again. It's the reason why we have black lines on our on our taluses, it's, which is barcode for for God to know who's praying. Barcode. Oh, why we really have it? I actually don't know why we really have it. That's why I like the barcode joke. Um, I really don't know. I'd love to know. And Sephardim don't have it. And Ashkenazim go with these black lines on their, on their talus. I'd love to know why. I'm happy if anyone wants to comment why, if you know why. Yeah. If you're saying that you could learn this so the so the, when you study more and more about about spirituality, about God, and about um, how how to re, how God relates to creation, and and so now you're now you got you. Well, how would I relate to that? So that's going to be hard to study that part. But studying into studying the you know the sacred texts of the Mude Hashem. Mm-hmm. To find out how God works, you know, it'd just be like I talked about in marriage. It'd be like learning about your husband as you're married. But isn't that don't you do that through studying God's will? You, so I was going to talk about that too. So I'd like to talk about that. And the answer is no. Um, n- no, you don't. Um, there are people who do. <laughs> the meaning the institutions don't teach that part at all. It's never taught institutionally. However. Everything we do in God's will, meaning not just the 613 commandments, but all the thousands and thousands of halachas, how to keep those commandments, not one of them is arbitrary. They're all secrets of who God is. Understand? Meaning all the study of God's will is really on the, in like the inner, inner world of it is who God is. Or at least, I shouldn't say who God is. It's who God's... It's what God's willing to share about himself to us. Because obviously God's infinitely beyond the mitzvahs as well. So, you understand? But it's like, it's whatever God's allowing us to see from his, his presence through these commandments, through the, the, his will. So for God, his will and he are one. And on the highest level, yeah, studying God's will would be studying God on the highest level. But till someone actually gets to that, that's like, that's pretty intense tourist. That's like an intense level of Torah study. And then we got another question. Which one do you think has more data? Do you think there's more data here or more data here? I'm talking about real data. Like data that you'd fill a, a, book, a bookshelf with or you'd fill a, you know, a disc on key. Which one? It's yeah? Spiritual. Yeah, so you would think Limer Ratzon because it's just so much. You know, all of the Shas and the Shulchan Aruch and the, all the stuff that we'll spend our lifetimes trying to study and, you know, hopefully we'll have covered all of it. You know, we're, by the way, every man is commanded to study all of Torah. So, like, somehow Yom Tov, uh, by the way, those who don't know, there's a guy named Yom Tov in my class today. He's a close friend of mine. It's Yom Tov from Tzfat. With, the, with the, you, you have your store open these days. Yeah. Oh, sure. yeah. What's it calling it? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, so Yom Tov Art Gallery. Yeah, but it's actually weapons and puppies. Weapons and puppies. Okay. <laughs> just cl- just clickbait for the 
for the birthright kid walking by. <laughs> so, that's really not politically correct. Yeah, and Scott's totally cool with it. I thought I was going to get lynched. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, uh, why was I bringing up Yom Tov? Which one's oh, I was just saying that we all have to study all of it. We all have to know all of it. So, which one has more data? So the answer is, is this has like four times the data. Mm-hmm. And the way you find, how do you know that? It has more than four times, but what, how do you know that? Is that when you study Limudei Hashem, sometimes you're studying it, let's say via Torah. Let's say you're opening up a Zohar and Chumash. You're just learning Zohar and it's the Chumash. And, and so you're studying, uh, let's say, I don't know, Shaluah HaKen or you know, shooing away a mother bird before you're taking eggs, or, or you're studying uh, shotness, you know, not mixing flax and wool in a, one garment together. So the commandment is don't mix wool and flax together. Don't take the animal wool and the vegetable flax and interweave them, unless you're up to serious spiritual stuff in the temple. But outside the temple, you have no business with that mixture. That mixture is allowed, by the way. In the, temple, in, in the temple, on the on the 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 Kohanim had that mixture oh, wow. going on, but there it's like you know you gotta you gotta you're messing with heavy stuff over there. So there you can mix it. Once you leave the temple, man, you better not be mixing those things. And the and so now, would you imagine the Kabbalah has a lot to say about that? Now, as far as the actual law, you think it has a lot to say about it? There's stuff to say, like how many, how many weaves, you know, you know, what, meaning if you're sewing in and out, how many, or if you're weaving, when are you, at what point are you really over on that? Meaning what point have you transgressed? Yeah, there would be some detail. And Southern Mitzvahs have a ton of detail, like Shabbos is going to have a ton of detail. But, but when you click on the Kabbalistic stuff and you want to know why, how much more info you think there's going to be? Yeah, it's going to be like, it's going to be like the rest of your life you're going to be studying why not to mix flax and wool because it's going to go deep, 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 deep. Especially that one because there it's, it is permitted at, in the temple by the Kohanim. So like, whoa, now we're touching on deep, deep stuff. But when you come to like Shabbos, for example, that you shall not, uh, I don't know, cook raw food on Shabbos. Okay, you're not allowed to take raw food and cook it. On Shabbos, well, that sounds like, okay, that's, that's the will of God. Like, don't take raw food and cook it. But the Kabbalah is going to go, once you get into Limudei Hashem, so there you're going to have, you know, a lot of details of stuff. First of all, you have the details of, of man manipulating creation at all, and what's that all about? And then you have Shabbos. Why Shabbos? What in what in the world does sh- us manipulating matter have to do with Shabbos? Because certainly taking something from raw to cooked is manipulation. That's a manipulation. So, so first you have man in manipulating matter. Then you got Shabbos and don't manipulate matter. And then you got well, what about man manipulating matter on Shabbos is such a big deal. And what's that all about? That's before we even get from raw to cooked. Then now now we're dealing with cooking. Now, if it's a fence, like, for example, 
You know, like if you took a hot pot off the stove and you shall not return it to the stove because it looks like cooking. Is that a is that an actual uh, is that limude rutsona shem or is that a fence? Which one? Is that this one or a fence? It's a fence. There you're not gonna find Kabbalah. You understand that that's not gonna be a Kabbalistic you're not gonna find a lot of Kabbalah, if not any. And because once you're in a fence of not doing something that looks like cooking, that's a fence. So once you're in fence land, don't expect a lot of Kabbalah there. And you also might not find a lot of halacha there either. A lot of, you know, Day may not be there either. But we have, we have plenty of fences, especially around uh, when you're getting near the edges of transgressing, uh, transgressing a Torah commandment. There we'd, we'd have a lot. You've been listening live? Oh, yeah. great. Sorry you missed all those buses. Nice guys. Yeah. Um, can you say that Ratzon is like birthed from Limun Hashem? Like, all the information in Ratzon is actually in there, but coded into the spiritual whatever. Uh, sorry, start again. I, I was distracted. Uh, I just realized I don't know what time it is. <laughs> it's 4 o'clock. Yeah. Um, Ratzon is like all the law, but it seems like it's, it's birthed from Limun Hashem. Like, it's all the spiritualness constant. It's like, oh, they, they figure out from that what to do in this world. So it's all already in. Yeah, well, there's no they. I mean, it's the Torah's prophecy. So so it, the Torah is a prophetic exp- expression of, of the Limudashim. It's a prophetic expression of that. Like a physical world expression. Yeah. Now, um, but, but what the main message of this class is, ladies and gentlemen, is really um, to not spend your life disappointed with your synagogue. And don't spend your life disappointed with your seminaries. And don't spend your life disappointed with your yeshivas. And don't spend your life disappointed in your community. And just stop playing that game. It was never meant to be a subject that had to do with synagogues or communities or, or seminaries or yeshivas. Or, it just was never that subject. Spirituality is not about that. And if you know that and you release it from, you release your demand on the community or on the society or, or the, the synagogue or, the, or the, any other Torah school or your kids' schools, if you release that demand on them and you get out of complaint mode, about, you know, whatever Jewish community is issue you're having. When you get out of complaint mode, you can come to uh, spirituality. You can actually now, oh, this is my responsibility? Like, my relationship with God's up to me? And I gotta get this, I gotta make this happen? So, so you'll make something happen. Because now, now it's on you. And when things are on us, we generally get it done. When things are even potentially on someone else, we will expect them to do it for us. So here, I got to make this happen. And that's the main takeaway, one of the main takeaways. Um, another thing is, is hakarasatov, appreciation. It's maybe now you can appreciate your Torah institution, whatever it is you're connected to. Because they are sometimes feeding, they're sometimes housing, they're, they're certainly providing teachers to understand the will of God. They're... Um, <laughs> they're uh, educating our children, if not babysitting them while we do other things. They're, they're 
they're giving a lot. Community's giving a lot. You need a place to pray. Commun- we got to have a place for Kiddush. You know, we need a place to go make Kiddush, and, and that's generally shul. And so you can really get much more appreciative when you stop expecting the communal institutions in the Jewish world to provide spirituality for you. And, and so it's really a very positive thing. Now, I know the clickbait of this class was, why are all institutions necessarily evil? That was just clickbait. They're not evil. They're, they're, they're quite amazing, and, they're, and we need to uh, have great gratitude for them. But at the same time, we have to stay realistic that all intimate relationships are private, and therefore your relationship with God is private. That's got to be private. Private. And so, um, and so the last is a plug for us mavericks who are here to teach these kinds of things is support your maverick rabbis. You know, any r- maverick rabbi you know, you know, get the word out, help them in any way you can. Uh, forward it to friends, classes you got. You can also always join the media, yomtopmediaclub.com, which is helping get the word out. So please uh, be part of it. Let's, let's, uh, let's teach the world all these important things. Because, oh my gosh, like, they, I was just in L.A., in like West L.A. with... You know, I, me and maybe only a handful of the 150 people at the event I was at were observant. Everyone else was from secular backgrounds, Jewish, but secular. <laughs> people just loved to walk up to me at this party, at this event, you know, with their cocktail in hand. And almost every single person wanted to complain to me about the Jewish institution that gave them nothing, but still calls them once a year for dues. You know, it's some synagogue or the local temple or whatever it is. You know, B'nai Bingo. You know, but the, but, and they're like, they're like, no, click, you know, and they, so, so if you're any of those people who has, you know, supported a world that actually failed at Jewish continuity, so certainly pump some support up for, for people who are, who are turning Jews on to Judaism as opposed to turning them off. Let's make, make our best efforts, especially in this time. This era of ours, this crazy time of ours, let's let's make let's all band together to make sure like we're all doing something to get the word out that Judaism's still alive and it's vital and it's and it's and it's spiritual and it's real and it's it's engaging and it's powerful and it's yeah let's make that happen. Shalom, everybody. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.